What's up, Vankers? Hello, Vankers. Uh, today is a very special day. It is our one-year anniversary. We started this podcast a year ago, Brian and I, and we couldn't have had a more special guest. If you had told me a year ago that we were going to have the guest that we have on today when we started this little thing, then I would have slapped you twice in the face and would have told you to <laughs> scram. Would have told you to get out of my face and don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up. Yeah, I told my I've been telling my parents about this podcast for uh, over for a year and they've never cared or taken it seriously. And then I told my dad, I said, Dad, name one guy. My dad's a Jew from Brooklyn. He doesn't know anything about motorsports. I said, name one guy in, in, in racing. Just name one guy. And that's who we got. He goes, Mario Andretti. I go, that's who we got. He goes, oh, my God. I might actually have to listen to this fucking podcast now. I might actually be proud of my son for once in his life. So, so without further freaking ado, we bring to you the man, what? the myth, the legends. Truly. Mario Andretti, Mario thank you Andretti. so much for coming on the Red Flags. My pleasure, guys. Matt, uh, Brian, you guys look great. <laughs> thank oh, you. As do you. As, as, do, as you look, do you. You look, you have a glow about you. Yeah, you have a real funny. glow about you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod, for helping Matt solve his 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 relationship with his father. You know, you're doing you're already doing amazing work. You're already doing amazing work. You're validating us, even though we we're 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 absolutely punching above our weight class right now. Yes. That, that made my day already. <laughs> yeah, I'm one, sweating bullets right now. Okay. Well, it's yeah, um, it's it's it's, uh, it's one of these things where you 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 for uh, for Americans and their relationship to motorsport, you're either like crazy into it or it's a thing in the, in the background, but, but you, you puncture the, the, the masses you puncture, like for people that for like Matt's dad, who's kind of motorsports not been a huge thing in his life, but you know, it's Mario Andretti. You're, 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 you're bigger than the sport. You're part of the culture. You're part you're of the in a million rap. You're part of a million rap lyrics. Um, you're a, you're a colloquialism. When someone dri is driving fast, someone says, Look at this, Mario Andretti here. And I guess our first question was, what does what do you say when someone's driving fast? Do you do you say what is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? Me? What do you say? No, what an idiot. That's what I say. Okay. Okay. All yeah, right. I, okay. I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't condone that whatsoever on, on the road. <laughs> but honestly, okay. I mean, if okay, some people speed or whatever, but uh, reckless driving is something that I will not ever, ever condone. And, and there's some crazies out there, obviously, that uh, create problems potentially for themselves and others. But if they create for themselves, okay, they create it. But uh, I don't like when they obviously put others in harm's way. So yeah, when it comes to the road, uh, I think uh, you have to respect uh, whoever else is out alongside of you. That's right. So you heard it here song? first. If yeah. any of you who you listen to this podcast think that it's okay to speed in the highway, Mario Andretti is telling you to stop. <laughs> it is not okay. Listen to the Godfather of Motorsport and don't, don't, don't you dare. So, um, don't, but don't reckless drive. That's right. Yes. That's yes. right. If you if you better get it onto a track and get a carbon fiber, you know, uh, monocoque. Wait, wait, but unless you're on the track and and um, AJ Foyt is being a little too aggressive, then you can then you then you need to assert yourself a little bit, right? Well, you have to watch because sometimes if you try to do it to someone else, 
you might get the worst part of it. So uh, right. be very careful what you wish for sometimes. Okay. As far, okay. as, far as using that uh, piece of equipment, you know, to um, to potentially put somebody off or whatever, you know. Uh, I don't know. I read some and, things about a younger Mario. He likes to set the tone a little bit more, but uh, but an older, <laughs> wiser Mario feels a little differently. That's okay. Uh, yeah. yeah so, um, so, you know, Matt and I, we were saying to you that we're kind of newer motorsport fans. And I think there's a, there's a big kind of new wave of F1 fans who have all come off of the heels of drive to survive and have gotten really into the sport. That's who a lot of our audience is. And that's, we, we certainly fall into that. And one of the best parts mm. of this journey and this experience has been just uncovering all learning about all the different stories and all the history and beyond formula one itself, but into you know, Indy 500, IndyCar, NASCAR, Daytona, Le Mans, all the stuff. And, and so I think we want to take this opportunity to just teach our listeners who maybe don't know about your life, just kind of get into the man behind, behind the legend. Um, and the great characters, you know, yeah. there's so many great characters and we want to get to know, you know, everything you've accomplished and who, who you are. Uh, so I think we want to start. So you were, you're you're known as this uh, as a you know american legend of motorsport but you're originally from italy and can you talk a little bit about your childhood growing up and then kind of where racing kind of played into it and then going into what happened after the war and with you know you being displaced and having to become a refugee well yes i mean uh my wife, my wife, my life started uh, when World War II broke out, basically. And uh, the first five years of my life, that's what it was. We knew nothing about war. We were pretty much in the area where we're, we were not uh, bombarded uh, uh, specifically. The uh, bombarding was happening about 40 miles away in a bigger city. But um, the danger was always there and all the other things that went on. And uh, at the end of uh, the war, after the Paris pact with the uh, US, France, Russia, um, and the UK, they, uh, they, they, there was some territory that Italy had to give up because they lost the war along with Germany. And we happened to be the victims. Uh, the peninsula of Istria, just in the far Northeast part of Italy was ceded to Yugoslavia under you know, Marshal Tito, hardline communism, that was to please Russia more than anything, obviously. Mm. Uh, but again, uh, there was a choice for uh, all of uh, the people that lived there uh, to remain under and succumb to communism uh, or uh, just leave. And uh, we, we chose by the family, my dad and my mother and so forth. And uh, all of our relatives chose to leave like uh, uh, it's estimated almost 300,000 from that region, uh, which were sparse eventually all over the world. But uh, we were refugees in, in our own country in, in Italy mm -hmm. for, uh, for eight years, from 1948 to 1955, well, seven years. Uh, and, um, and again, uh, you can see that uh, when you're displaced, you're displaced. You know, there was uh, a lot of uncertainties and everything else. But us as kids, you adapt. And, um, mm. and, you know, you play, you do all the things uh, with other kids. And uh, somehow Italy was so prominent in, uh, 
Formula One Motorsports um, in the early 50s because uh, all the major brands, you know, were part of it. Uh, uh, Ferrari, Maserati, I keep saying Alfa Romeo and first world champion, Nino Farina. Um, and um, so as a child, as a kid, uh, we would see um, these uh, uh, videos, uh, movie reels. Uh, uh, when we go to the movies, they would have intermission, like uh, that for some reason to they used to open the doors to let the smoke go out because people used to <laughs> smoke there. But then they would have uh, they would have news from around the world, and uh, leading the uh, the news was always sports because uh, again the prominence of the Italians been involved and. And as uh, young lads uh, with my twin brother, Aldo, we just became uh, fascinated, of course. Uh, and, um, and then after we saw the very first race, for, for first Formula One race in Monza at age 14, 1954, uh, always said, and uh, the, that's it, that uh, from there on, there was uh, no plan B. Uh, it seemed like uh, the mold was cast and uh, uh, it was a, truly an impossible dream at the moment to even uh, think about it. But uh, uh, still, uh, as I always said, as a young lad, you, you, you can dream, you know, you're allowed to dream and, uh, and we're dreaming big, uh, of course. And then of course, then all of a sudden we're moving to this, to the States. And uh, we figure, well, you know, I wonder how the racing is in the States. Well, that's really when the real opportunities uh, came to us because uh, two years after we arrived here, where I am now in Nazareth, uh, uh, we started building our own car. Uh, we just, um, we summoned four other friends, four other buddies uh, that uh, knew more than we did, <laughs> obviously. And uh, we started building a car to race locally. And, uh, and we did a good job, not because we knew anything, my brother and I, but because uh, I always say, you know, one of our dudes there was a real geek, you know, he just really knew uh, what was going on, not just locally, but uh, nationally uh, with stock cars. And, uh, and uh, we raised some money to even buy information from one of the leading teams in NASCAR at the time, which was uh, the teams that the, the Hudson, uh, the, the Hudson brand was winning most of the short track races in NASCAR. And uh, so we needed information when we would build a car and uh, it turned out to be uh, just exactly what we needed. Um, and uh, so once the car was ready to go, uh, we obviously, we were underage because uh, you, had to, you needed to be 21 to race uh, professionally at the time. And um, we were only um, 19, 1959. So um, we befriended um, you know, the editor of the local paper um, and uh, asked them to fudge our, uh, our birth date you know, and our license. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so we got by with that. And then we told another fib that uh, we used to race Formula Junior in Italy. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, because we didn't really look like 21, you know, we looked pretty young, but uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. just, just to, uh, yeah, to confuse uh, people a little bit more and to uh, give us an opportunity. We said we used to race in Italy, which was a baloney, of course. Well, when you can speak I Italian. Live with, I had to live with that one. 
for many, many <laughs> years because it was written in Speed Sport News was a Chris Economac, you know, the old guru, you know, in, in motor racing at the time. Uh, he picked up on that and and he kept referring to it, you know, every time that uh, yeah, we'd win a race, he said, oh, this kid that, that uh, started racing in Italy, Formula Junior and all that, oh my goodness. <laughs> and then, then our relatives, then the auto sprint picked it up and our relatives in Italy said, uh, I don't remember you ever racing in Ancona. <laughs> was even, I, even for, I even gave him the city because Formula Junior was racing in some of the cities and I picked Ancona, which is on the Adriatic there. <laughs> no, so anyway, the long and the short, though, that, that's uh, when our career started, you know, at that age. Uh, Aldo and I, we had one car, uh, two drivers, one helmet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah and uh we were um you know we'd uh we'd you drive one weekend i would drive another weekend and so on so that's what we did the first season yeah i'm a twin who is older uh i am five five hours you're five, five hours. hours i was five i was five minutes and i lorded that over five my hours sister. i don't think the doctor knew that uh, my mom had twins <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact Wow. So there's yeah. another so one in there. The so Aldo, Aldo, oh, yeah. came out of, Aldo came out and then there was another lump in there, I guess. And, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> there's something going on here. Yeah. I, I was born at five in the morning and Aldo came out at 11. Wow. Six. Yeah. And, and that must have been that must have been nice to have, you know, a brother that you could because you, you did all this traveling. You were displaced so much and you had. Yeah someone who who's and you know there was a language barrier and you know having to meet new people all the time to have uh someone that you could be so close with i imagine yeah it was uh, obviously we both are, we were sharing the same uh, objective same uh, passions you know uh, all along and and we fed off of one another uh, you know with all that um, exuberance if you will um and um and again uh, that I think it was a lot easier, you know, two can create more than one, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, even in trouble for that matter. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it worked out. Aldo and I uh, always got along uh, really well. And uh, we were able to share because we always shared everything. We never had two of anything until we were, until we married, actually. <laughs> you know, can't share, can't then, share a wife. Can't share a, a spouse. Share a car. We only had one. Everything. One truck. One truck. One. One. One toy. One. One bicycle. One car. We always had to share. When you went to Mo uh, Monza, at the, you know, where you were saying you were 14 years old, that was when you were already, you know, refugees, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We were actually in, in a refugee camp in Tuscany, in Lucca. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, because uh, we arrived there in Luca in 1948, and we were there until 1955. And, and can you pinpoint what what it was that you like? Why, why motorsport? Why racing? That like what what did it for you? I think uh, you know you can't help it if you follow it all. I mean, there's excitement to it, and um, and the fact that Italy was so prominent. You know, our drivers. Mm -hmm. uh, Scotty, for instance, which was my mm -hmm. first absolute idol, was current world champion. And uh, mm -hmm. what better than that? I mean, uh, then yeah. you you want to emulate somebody that's like God in that sense. Right. And, and Ferrari and and all of that, this, what they stood for. So 
uh, yeah, I mean, it was not hard to, 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 to be drawn to it for sure. Uh, and for some reason, Aldo and I were, even, even when we were in Montana, um, for some reason, I, I never shared this thing. Like for one time, my dad was building up something that he was really, uh, we should be looking forward to this uh, birthday gift that we're gonna get. And we figured, ah, we're going to get something mechanical, a bicycle or something. Yeah. <laughs> and um, here he comes up with a horse, you know, <laughs> a beautiful horse called Stella Star. And the horse actually turned out to be, you know, his. <laughs> you know, yeah. We didn't want it, you know. Yeah. So we had, uh, there was no, nothing that uh, drew us anywhere except, uh, uh, you know, this type of thing, the sport. And, and there was, uh, you know, there was soccer. We used to play soccer as kids and, and all that. But um, uh, that was okay. It was a good activity like anything else. But uh, there was never, oh, I want to be a soccer player, which was, again, mm -hmm. that was very prominent at the time. But the, the mechanical side, it was something that, um, I don't know, excited me. Like uh, across, there was um, across from the square from uh, the, uh, the camp where we were, in Luca, there was a garage where they uh, there was repair, but also uh, parking um, uh, because you know parking was at a premium uh, inside of Wall City in Luca, and all the merchants, you know, would uh, obviously have to go to parking garage, and uh, and we befriended uh, the two partners there. They were wonderful people, and Aldo and I, and um, and they, in fact, they were the ones that took us to to Monza, by the way. But that's where we learned to drive. And, um, you know, these um, merchants would come in and they had some fancy cars. Some had Fiat small Topolinos, but uh, then there were the Lancia, there was the Alfa Romeos. And uh, little by little, they, uh, these friends of ours, they, they, they taught us how to drive. So we were parking cars, but we were doing burnouts and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, so it was a little Ferris Bueller's day off with the valets oh, oh, driving their cars I, like crazy. Know, <laughs> when I valet my car today, I'm thinking, I said, they better not do any burnouts with my, you know, uh, yeah. with my car. If there's too much of a glint in their eye, you know that something's yeah, up. Yeah, so. <laughs> It would be karma, honestly. <laughs> yeah. We were just drawn to that, you know, and, yeah. and uh, again, and there was never an alternative, if you will. They never yeah. thought, okay, you know, this is going to fail or whatever. We always thought that maybe we start um, uh, racing motorcycles, which would be uh, probably a lot easier uh, in the sense of uh, obtaining. There were some, uh, some local racing uh, with motorcycles, but uh, uh, and the other one was, you know, the so-called impossible dream. But, uh, uh, but again, um, but we never gave up at that hope. Never figure, okay, you know, well, if this doesn't happen, whatever. Yeah, it had to happen. And, um, yeah. and I think that's uh, that mindset. I think uh, is what I need. We needed to really work it out because we had to do it without my dad knowing. My dad, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's well known that. Um, he, he did not, you know, it's not that, um, uh, that he wasn't, you know, uh, he didn't want us to have things. It's just that uh, he, he is a father. He was looking at the negatives that the sport uh, was presenting at the time, you know, how dangerous it was. I mean, uh, um, our idol, Alberto Scotti, was killed just uh, 
you know, a couple of months before we, we came to the United States, you know, so that in itself was not very helpful for, for us to tell, hey, dad, we want to be race drivers. So your kids are crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, right. um, he always, one thing he said that, uh, that stuck with us, he said they, uh, from a race they bring home more body bags and they do trophies, you know, so, and right. at the time, in those times it was true, actually, unfortunately, but that, that was the nature of the sport then. And uh, so we had to uh, sort of do our thing. And my dad actually found out at the end of the season, at the very last race of the season, uh, that we were racing when Aldo got hurt. He, uh, Aldo got hurt very badly. Um, in fact, they gave him his last rights that night uh, in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And uh, the next day, uh, I called my mother and I said, Mom, um, and I had to confess, I said, that I was racing and Aldo was watching and he fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> he banged his head. And uh, she she was very quiet because I think she knew moms right. moms know but and she was caught in the middle, and then um, I said well we'll be home tomorrow well we uh, I stayed over obviously we slept over in the hallway but uh, the next day uh, we had to uh, have uh, our parents over you know in fact the the doctors and uh, actually the police there says that uh, we must have the parents over right and. Uh, that's how my dad found out. <laughs> and, <laughs> Serious grounding after that. <laughs> <laughs> two, two years of, you're grounded for two years. Well, yeah. you got to hear this one. Uh, the, Aldo was in a coma for quite some time. When he finally came to and then he started speaking, he said that, the first thing he said to me, I'm glad you had the one to face the old man. Yeah. He knew what I had to go through. You know, he he yeah. said he was, he was the lucky one. <laughs> no way that he was going to touch him. You know, yeah. so anyway, so we survived that one. Okay. But, um, you know, my dad, and of course, um, you know, uh, it was a tough the following year, but when he found out that we, he thought we learned a lesson. But the following year, when he found out that uh, we were s- still racing, in fact, I was already started building the new car while Aldo was still in the hospital. And, um, and he took a sabbatical the following year. And then, uh, and, but when that found out, and that it was a bit of hell to pay in that respect, but there's nothing he could do in that sense, except maybe throw us out of the house, which he obviously didn't, but it was very quiet for several months there. Mm, sure. Old silent treatment. And, yeah, silent treatment, of course. And, but, you know, little by little, he, he, he understood that, uh, you know, it's gonna continue. We're not gonna give this up uh, with everything we put into it. And he says, you guys are crazy, whatever. Then he started uh, asking Aldo, how's Mario doing and vice versa, you know? So uh, if you want to show directly that he is, he was obviously uh, dealing with it and, 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 uh, and giving, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and giving his approval, if you will, quietly, but uh, he became the biggest fan, of course, you know, as time went on, but as you can imagine. Well, you had the vision. You, I mean, in certain ways you had the, you had the vision of, of what this thing could be. I mean, it, it's definitely, Compared to 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 now, it's it's just a whole other world of of the dangers of what it was like back then. We we watched a documentary about Fangio, and we did an episode on him. They, yeah. And we, they talked about the Le Mans disaster. Do you remember like reading about well, that, he, hearing he, about that? You know, no, no kidding. 
I mean, uh, actually on the way over, we were uh, uh, out at sea for nine days uh, when we came over uh, in 55. And that was during the weekend of the 24 hours of Le Mans where 85 spectators were killed when Pierre Levesque's car went up in the stands. And, and that was in the manifest because um, mm. on the wall every day they would have news around the world. And this was the big news again about motor racing and, and Pierre Levesque obviously was killed and then 85 spectators. So these are the negatives that my dad right. was confronted with, you know, but because that's, yeah. you know, that's what was always, uh, you know, headlines and whatever. So, uh, and that's, it was understandable that they figure, you know, your kids, you know, that's a fatherly uh, protection, fatherly, uh, you know, just a normal reaction from a father, you know, to, uh, to keep the kids safe, you know, to make, you know, so uh, he, he could not even begin to uh, understand uh, our passion and love we truly had at the time. But, um, but he, he, you know, he finally came to grips with that. But, but you did have one yeah. very supportive family member in your wife, correct? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, uh, this is, uh, that was golden for me because, uh, you know, <clears throat> When you pursue something like this as vigorously as, as I did, uh, uh, you, you know, you're very selfish. You know, there, there's some sacrifice around you. Deanne and I had a young family, um, you know, uh, when we were, I was 21, she was 19, you know, when we had our first child. And, uh, and subsequent, it was Mike, it was Jeff, and then it was Barbie. Um, and... Uh, and so, as you could see, the responsibility was there. And uh, with all the travel and everything that was doing, you know, she was handling everything uh, perfectly and properly and, uh, and not ever making me feel guilty, if you will. You know, uh, okay, our friends were having picnics, were, you know, uh, just enjoying the weekends. And I was working every weekend. Uh, and all those things, but um, yeah, without that and without her approval, her approval didn't have to be, oh yeah, it's okay, do it. She just went along. She was just so uh, even, I mean, her character was such that uh, uh, she didn't have to say anything, you know, to show me that, okay, you're okay. Just do what you know, do what you love and, uh, and you're providing for us and all of that. So, yeah, that was extremely important for me because uh, I know that um, not all of my friends had that type of support. And yeah. I know that uh, um, when you have to fight that as well, it's, uh, you know, uh, I think it'd be distraction on top of everything else. Right. So you, so you climbed sort of, so you were in the stock cars for a while. You climbed to, you, you made, I, it, it was a little nuanced, but you made the jump to midget cars, then, then sprint cars, then champ cars. And that was like the rung of the, the single seater, you, you yes. did the single seater climb. Although it wasn't, it wasn't smooth sailing in the beginning. You, you face, you face some sort of discrimination. Well, uh, yes, I did. And yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, uh, <laughs> You know, sometimes those things make you stronger, if anything, uh, you know, when you're being tested like that. And uh, I, uh, obviously my objective was to get into single seaters as soon as possible. Uh, the, the quickest, the best way 
most practical way was to go through the stalkers like I did, but first opportunity. And, um, and so I got into three quarter midgets. And uh, fortunately, uh, like anything, uh, but it's like going to school, but uh, you want to do want to win where you are. And fortunately I did exactly that. I was able to win. And uh, even in three quarter midgets, I won uh, the biggest race of the season that in Teaneck, New Jersey, a hundred lapper and who was second to me, Len Duncan, one of the uh, icons of major racing in that era. Uh, and all of a sudden through that, I earned a ride in a full-size major the following season and with the Mateka mm -hmm. brothers. And, um, and here again, uh, I won, you know, with them. And then uh, as I, as I went on, in fact, uh, on, on, Labor Day 1963, I won three races in one day, three features, which never happened before or since. On, within the 24 hours, uh, was a, Labor Day was a, a race in, in the afternoon, you know, just uh, uh, in Flemington, New Jersey. Then, and that evening was in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. But also after I won the second one, there was a third feature to be run because it was a, uh, it was a from a rain out feature that to make up and I won that third feature and uh, so from there it, somebody took notice in, in the top ranks you know in USAC right and and yeah. I got a with the sprint car right. and that was then that was yeah and then you moved to sprint and then you moved to to, to basically champ, champ cars which is yeah. a big car yeah. what did it come oh now I can actually start to make money that, that this investment starting to like also, but also when did you when in this whole story did you realize like that you were better than everybody like that you're like yeah. the best at this <laughs> yeah, yeah like when, uh, did, when did that occur to you yeah, yeah you get the pace well, i don't think i ever felt that way uh oh you never well, felt that what way I, what I, <laughs> <laughs> you won three to... in one day you're 21 <laughs> you, you you won the whole thing you get at 25 years old, you get to champ car, you win the whole thing. Certain point, the results, they speak for themselves. You yeah. don't have to say anything. Well, it, it gives you confidence, no question. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Yeah, it gives you confidence and you feel, and yeah, yeah. And you feel like uh, you belong, you know? It says, you know what? Uh, you know, maybe I'm okay in this business, you know, because, uh, <laughs> and, and that's huge though. I mean, to, mm. because you have no idea until you're really there until you do it. Um, I mean, uh, just the, you know, the, the passion and desire and all of that, unless you get it, you do it, you know, it doesn't tell you anything, you know? So, um, uh, and that's important. And the other thing is that uh, coming through the ranks, it's just like going to school. You don't want to repeat second grade, third grade, you want to mm -hmm. move on. So I felt that uh, as soon as I felt that I was winning in those categories, you can make a career in some of those categories. Some people do. Right. Uh, I wanted to move on. I my uh -huh. objective was always to, to get to the top. You know, like in right. uh, in, in the in the U.S. at the time, to me, I wanted to be uh, in the Indy cars. You know, to run for a national championship, mm -hmm. and um, and I couldn't get there fast enough. Quite honestly, and that's what I worked toward, and um, and you know there was a lot of uh things happening at the right time I, unfortunately unfortunately um i was able to take advantage of somebody else's bad luck or misfortunes like uh um uh, injuries and even yeah. worse you know where all of a sudden the seat was open and i get a test 
Now it's yeah. you do or you don't. You do or I don't say do or die, or you do or you don't. Do you know that uh, the first test that I was invited to uh, was with one of the top three teams. It was a Dean Van Line team uh, in Indy cars and uh, their driver Chuck Hall's, you know, I, you know, I had the misfortune. And, uh, and Roger Penske was the, the other driver that was invited first before me. Right. But he, he had some other uh, commitments. He couldn't make it. So uh, I, I was invited and the, the, it was a Firestone test, tire test in Trenton, New Jersey. And, uh, and that's it. You know, that was the key moment for me because uh, somehow for whatever reason, the engineers uh, sort of um, after, you know, I did a, some few laps and so forth. They liked some of uh, the, uh, the way that I was describing the feeling on some of the tires. So I was brutally honest. Uh, and there, there was a Roger Ward and Parnelli Jones were the other two drivers, which was uh, uh, consummate and veterans, you know. And sometimes the veterans tell the engineers what they want to hear if you will. Mm. And somehow something clicked there that they say, you know, we're yeah. going to keep this young lad around. And, and, yeah. and, and for me to be invited to do more testing and so forth was golden because, you know, they're getting miles under my belt, you know, uh, and, and it, it helped me just really develop some of the skills that I needed. Uh, so uh, again, you know, a lot of things were just uh, going in the right direction. Uh, fortunately for me, uh, and I was able to take advantage of every bit that, that was coming my way. So, mm. um, yeah, we have very auspicious beginning because uh, my very first year in IndyCars at the top level, uh, I won a championship there. I was the youngest one to do so in 65. Yeah. Boom. Because he, because uh, he, he was all luck. It was all luck, apparently. It was all, <laughs> <laughs> it was all luck. Because he had it. It was just luck. <laughs> um, so you won in 65. You're, and then, so 67, you get to work with Bruce McLaren. I mean, we got, as F1 fans, we got to ask what he was like, what you got to learn, if you got to learn from him, anything on the track, off the track, what do you, you know? Yeah, obviously, <clears throat> I, I can tell you that uh, even in 65, I was already thinking about Formula One because right. all along I felt that someday uh, I hope that I can earn my way into Formula One. I have to have the opportunity somehow. So it was always in the back of my mind, even when I was still driving in, in, in a midget. You know that in uh, 63, we had a one road race in Lime Rock, Connecticut, in the midget, and I won it. Right. And I won it yeah. over the, uh, Mark Donahue, who was driving a specially built rear engine midget for that, just for that race. For that and, one and race. So like I say, the road racing was just something and there was only one road race in 65 in a championship in, uh, in USAC, and I won that one. So uh, you mm -hmm. can see road racing. And uh, at, the of, uh, the, uh, um, at the end of Indianapolis, you know, where uh, I finished third and, and Jim Clark uh, won it, I befriended along the, uh, during the month, I befriended Colin Chapman and also Jim. And then we were saying our goodbyes. And uh, I said this a million times, but you got to hear it. That, uh, uh, I, I told uh, Colin Chapman, I said, Colin, someday I would like to do Formula One. And he says, Mario, he says, when you think you're ready, uh, you call me and I will have a car for you. 
And this is where we're going now, you know, into sports cars because uh, uh, Ford was, uh, had began this uh, drive to, to win Le Mans in 1966. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a good relationship with Ford and I offered that uh, I want to be part of all of the testing because it was miles and miles of testing to be done alongside of, you know, Ken Miles, you know, who was in, uh, in, right. in the movie, uh, the movie, yeah, movie yeah. That, yeah, Ford versus Ferrari and all that. And, um, and so, and then of course, uh, the, the best part was uh, Bruce McLaren, as you mentioned, because he had won Le Mans uh, with the GT 40 uh, the year before. That was the first one, you know, he wasn't supposed to win it, but he did. Is I don't know if you if you know they showed that even in the movie where mm -hmm. Ken was supposed to win, all three Fords were supposed to cross the line, right. you know, almost lined up, and the last second, uh, <laughs> Bruce just accelerated, <laughs> and he, and he won. Yeah, he, he, was, he was supposed to do that, but uh, I give him credit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I thought we were racing here. Come he on. got the trophy. It's all in racing, yeah. you know. Anyway, uh, Bruce and I really hit it off. And uh, the reason that uh, I really, on top of it, I wanted to befriend him was because uh, he was a very good technical driver, you know, as far as really rotating the car and the air pins and all that. These are all the things that I had to learn. I had, you know, uh, I was pretty good on the top, you know, on, on the high speed corners and everything. But uh, there's, there's some of those things that um, I needed to hone and properly for myself and uh and bruce helped me tremendously even just but allow me to just go out and, and uh, as soon as you would take over the car during the test i would go on a scooter and go on one of the uh slow corners somewhere hairpin somewhere and watch his line how he would do or how you pick up throttle quickly so all those things you know that they would benefit yeah. and then we would discuss things at dinner at night, you know, and talk about all this thing about the braking, trail braking, and all that sort of thing that uh, uh, makes you go fast. Yeah. Did yes, he have plans ahead. at that, even at that point of what was going to become his, his, you know, his career and his, his legacy in terms of that? Like, well, Bruce was always, uh, always thinking ahead in the sense that uh, he had, he was very ambitious. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you could see that uh, after that, you know, he, it was like it seemed like in vogue to be to become a team owner at the time right uh, it was uh there was this tire war between firestone and goodyear and uh, the tire companies were ready to invest in some drivers that had these ambitions like uh for instance uh you know they invested in Foyt, they invested in dan gurney uh, and bruce mclaren you know there were uh, some of the ones that obviously uh, built teams that uh <clears throat> you know became uh uh, very successful, you know, over decades. And, uh, and so, and he was one of them, but uh, as you could see what he did with, uh, with Ken M for instance, and all that how successful, uh, Bruce was very, very sharp. He was, uh, technical in every way. Um, and not only as a driver, but also a good businessman. And he knew how to surround himself with the right people. As you could see, some of his designers became, you know, the primo, primo designers in, in the business. Uh, so he knew what the ingredients were important. And, uh, and, and again, you know, he, uh, I think the success speaks for itself. 
but that was never for you because you had a team, you had a team and then you were like, forget it. You took over a team briefly. Oh yeah. Well, yes, I did actually. Uh, when the, yeah. Uh, in 67, uh, the, um, uh, the principal, uh, Mr. Dean, Al Dean uh, passed away and uh, yeah. the team owner at the time, uh, I didn't want to disrupt anything. Uh, and I wanted to keep everything together. I'm the only one that actually could come up with, uh, uh, you know, with the, what I needed, uh, uh, you know, to be able to buy the team. And I did. And actually, Firestone helped me somewhat, too, you know, with that. And uh, so, yeah, in 68, basically, the full season when I owned the team myself, uh, we finished second in the championship because we didn't get any points at Indy. Uh, because, you know, even with the championship, you know, I, I was fortunate in 65, but I backed up the championship in 66 the following uh, year. Then I finished yeah, the championship in 67, 68 without gaining a single point in Indianapolis, which paid, you know, double points per mile. So right. um, anyway, uh, things were going well, no question. And I was with the right people. Uh, and that's what that's what means everything, you know, what accounts, uh, uh, the, the, the team that uh, had, we had two, uh, you know, renowned uh, mecha mechanics, uh, chief mechanics, uh, that um, one was Clint Bronner, which was uh, Mary had a lot of experience and, and there was a, a co-chief, uh, uh, Jim McGee, who became one of the most successful Chiefs, you know, in this career, you know, in anyone's career along the way, and and the younger one, he and I just sort of uh, were maybe thinking more outside the box in some areas. So, so but but having the combination of both was really really good for me, uh -huh. and um, so a lot of things were happening in the right way, uh, as you could see, um, you know, between '65 and. And 69, I won three championships uh, and uh, was second in the points with the closest finish ever, you know, uh, in 67, 68. Uh, and I didn't, you know, in those days, you the point system was that uh, you got two points per mile yeah. for the races. So winning Indianapolis was a thousand points. Oh, wow. But all the wow. other races were like 100 miler, maybe 200 milers at most. So you figure how many races you had to win just to equal Indianapolis. And uh, so uh, by not having any points at Indy really hurt you for the championship. Uh, because right. when I won Indy again, you know, in 69, I, I had the championship sewed up in, uh, in August. And then the last race was in December. So um, winning Indy was really um, almost a, almost every time that the indie winner usually became a national champion almost always right, right. And, and your indie win in 69 was you had a you had a, a pretty bad crash in in practice right practice yeah we uh we were actually uh going to race that the new lotus uh uh that uh with four-wheel drive uh you know actually uh was quite a, a, a no novel and well i should say uh interesting piece of equipment really that uh with some aerodynamics and so forth and uh but it was fragile and uh there were a couple of incidents uh, uh on the team that uh colin chapman had uh that uh i think uh, it was um 
Mike Spence and also uh, Graham Hill that crashed because of uh, suspension failure. And finally, at three days, uh, three days before qualifying, one well, on a Thursday before Saturday qualifying, um, I was, you know, during practice, uh, I was uh, I actually had a set of record, I think just a lap before and the right rear wheel just came off, coming yeah. turn four and I had a huge, huge crash. Uh, fire and everything else and uh and we had a spare car but um at that point with all the failures that we had mechanical failures that we need a redesign uh, there was a decision to be made um the four-wheel drive cars were uh Not too dangerous yeah. risky so, yeah. yeah so they uh they uh Not reliable. <laughs> yeah and uh and we had to we had to go to a spare car uh, the, the Bronner Hawk that uh, we never intended to actually race there, but but it, it won the race before in Hanford, California, and only had two days to get work it up to speed and and I put it in the front in the front row, unfortunately, and uh, that turned out to be the winning car. So you could just sort of drive anything; doesn't really matter. I mean, I mean you you had two days to practice with this new car that ha you, you know, cause usually you go to India, you have a month for people who don't know. Correct. Yeah. And then well, at that time, yeah, yeah. Three weeks, three, sorry, three weeks. Yeah. Well, uh, before qualifying. So humble. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three weeks. What other guys had three weeks for the car. You had two days of that car and then you win in, you win the Indy 500. Um, I mean, we skipped the whole, we, in your whole list of things that you won, you also won the Daytona 500, your second time ever. It took Dale Earnhardt, you know, his whole life to win that race. And, and um, everybody in Daytona was, you were the only people in the South that were happy, it seemed that you won, but I, cause you were a total outsider. I mean, what is it about you, you think that made you so adaptable? That made you be able to go into all these different disciplines? Cause we're gonna get to F1 in a second. I think when you're driven, when you really want to do something, uh, when you have, I, I said, all my career, my entire career, I was driven by a burning passion, you know, to just uh, get on and do it. And uh, I was curious. I was always curious how does, uh, uh, you know, my specialty was open wheel, single seaters, but I love sports prototypes. Um, I didn't particularly love uh, stock cars, but it's a race car of a, you know, <laughs> a race car. And, uh, and, you know, it's got different characteristics and all that, but um, somehow when you really want to do it, you adapt, you figure out, you figure out a way to adapt. And, and for me, from moving around, this one thing that I'm very proud of career-wise, I was, I, I think I'm the only one ever that, that, that one races on a dirt track and one races in Formula One. And that was sometimes, you know, it was like a, almost one weekend apart type of thing. <laughs> and, that, and, and so, and, but then I look back, even, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going off track here, but uh, I learned something in, on the dirt tracks, on the dirt track racing that helped me in, in wet races, you know, and uh, right. road race, wet road race about, uh, uh, on on a dirt track, you every lap, you know, almost uh, conditions just change. You're always searching for grip and this and that. That's what you do in the wet races, and you learn how to really how to just search for things and and you get the, you learn the feel for a lot of things. 
So uh, no matter what the difference is in the different cars, um, you're always looking for somewhat of the same thing, if you will. Uh-huh. And uh, the only difference in different cars is they have a different limit. You know, the limit of, uh, you know, before disaster, if you will. And uh, you try to find that as quickly as possible so you don't flirt with that so much. And, uh, but, uh, but I think it's all about the desire, really, when I come down to it. And it's a personal thing. You either have that or you don't. You either care about that or you don't. You really, I don't know how to explain it because I don't know what's in anybody else's head. All I know is, how much satisfaction I derive out of just going somewhere where it's not my specialty and not just race there, but try to win. Mm, right. You walk away, you know, figure, damn it, you know, good, things are good, you know, and if there's something there that's very special, very uh-huh. different. Well, it feels like it goes back to that. I mean, even, you know, you talked about when you were when you were a kid and you went to you know, Monza and you saw that first race, that that spark of this is the thing I got to do is that it that it carries through throughout your entire life. It does. And and just having to adapt your whole life, right. no matter what the circumstances yeah. are, because because you say it's about desire. But, you know, I, I you know, I you know, I see modern Formula One drivers and are like, oh, the car doesn't agree with them. Like the, the car is being developed away from him. And I'm like, well, Mario Andretti, it didn't he just went from one car to just different models of cars and didn't matter. So I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily just, a, I don't know, it's just kind of baffling to me when, to look at your career and then, and then you know, read about Daniel Ricardo how this McLaren doesn't really agree with his driving style. It's still a Formula One car. Yeah, well, that's it. I, I just don't know how to really uh, put my finger on <laughs> things like that because uh, yeah. Again, uh, uh, we all have our way of approaching things. Uh-huh. And uh, I can't say this is right or this is wrong. I right. have no way. And, uh, and somehow, again, I just, I just love the, the opportunity to really see, you know, to, to put my arms around something and try to understand it as quickly as possible. Uh, I thought that was it's part of the challenge, you know, that I uh, embraced. Uh, quite openly, quite honestly. And, um, uh, you know, some people are more finicky than others about uh, the setups, like um, unless it's really perfect, you know, they just don't like to, uh, to, to push the, you know, some limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and others uh, find a way to maybe adapt and learn. That's why I, I really, I think was really good for me to do a lot of testing you know, and, and mm-hmm. during the early part of my career, because uh, you could try a lot of things. You have the, the luxury to try a lot of things while you're testing. And, and, and I did, you know, I just, uh, all the one thing that I always, I found out quite early that um, the more you understand the animal, you know, the easier it will be for you to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, yeah, just like an, like an animal trainer. You know, it's, uh, you got, okay, how do you deal with this cat or that cat, you know, this uh, lion and and, uh, tiger, for instance, and um, uh, are they both the same? Probably not, you know, and to really understand how to do it, you know, so, uh, so you, you, you're in command, you know, and, and uh, you feel you're in charge and not allow that beast to hurt you type of thing. So yeah, that's really how you look at it. 
So you meet yeah. Colin Chapman in 65. And then, you know, he says that at some point when you want to come to F1. So when do you make that call? I, I know that there was a period of time where you were kind of only doing Formula One part time. And then you're you're going into more of the full time going with Lotus. In 68, when I called him, uh, I asked him, I said, I would like to do the last two races of the season, <laughs> uh, which would be uh, Monza and Watkins Glen. And I said, right, I will have a car for you. I said, there's a glitch here, however. Um, the weekend of Monza, I have to come back to the States on Saturday and race and at the Hoosier 100 in Indianapolis on a dirt track. And the reason I had to do that because I was going for the championship. I couldn't afford to mm -hmm. give up uh, a champ car race. And, uh, and so he agreed. He said, okay. And uh, we, uh, uh, but we tested in Monza and, uh, and the test went very well. In fact, uh, up to that point, the only thing that I had driven of a single seater was an Indy car on a road course. And in any car, much heavier and so forth. And uh, because of that, it doesn't break as well. So when I sat in that first Formula One car, I figured this is heaven. Mm, you know, wow. it felt actually easier to drive than an Indy car on a road course. And uh, I, you know, of course, Lotus, you know, it was Lotus. And, uh, and so it was really good for me. I felt, uh, you know, after the test, in fact, I set a quick time there, which, um, uh, Chris Amon with Ferrari was testing there a week before, and uh, and uh, I was told that I, I went a little bit quicker than him at that time. So I felt really good about it. But uh, uh, there was a, again, I had to just uh, qualifying in those days. Um, you could qualify. You could use your time. Every time you were on the track, the time counted for qualifying. Mm. So there, you know, there were four practice sessions. Two. Friday to Saturday, any time would count for qualifying. And then we, I could only run the first practice and that time would be determining my grid position. And uh, I, I uh, talked Bobby Unser into to, uh, coming to Italy with me. I got him a ride in a BRM. So during practice, we could do some slipstreaming. So help each other, you know, to go quicker Right at the, at the time, which uh, I didn't think that my teammates were going to be doing much help, you know, were going to help me very much. So I asked Bobby, and that worked out pretty good. And and uh, so and then we came back to the states. We did. We ran uh, first practice in the morning. We got a two forty five flight out of uh, Malpensa, Milano to New York, and we ran the Hoosier hundred the next day. In fact, I finished second to Floyd. And then flew back and we arrived there. We arrived at the track at about 10.45 in the morning. And, uh, and so it was in time and uh, there was a protest. And, uh, and, you know, we never found out for sure who protested. All I know is that uh, Colin Chapman was in the room and they were, they were only speaking Italian. Yeah, and we know even who it was, though, come on. We know, Mario, we know, we know who it was. was. <laughs> yeah. Coming after but one he, of their own. <laughs> but, but but you know the uh, the organizer at uh, Galupi and Count Lurani, who was like the FIA of, of uh, in Italy, they all had agreed that we're going to waive the twenty four hour rule, which is what the protest was about, because we knew there was good, that twenty four hour rule was going to be an infringement. Yes. And, uh, yes. But they were going to waive it. But the protest somehow was upheld, 
and uh, they did uh -huh. not let me start. And I was at that point, even though I set the time early Friday, my, I was seventh on the grid, which is yeah. I thought was pretty damn good. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so because of that, my debut, my actual debut was two weeks later at uh, Watkins Glen. Did you put uh, on Paul? I put on Paul, yeah. And uh, no, no. and I was, you know, here again, I figured, man, uh, how sweet is that? You know? <laughs> well, I got to ask you a question, Mario. I got to ask this. When you put it on Paul in your first race, were you a little disappointed? You were like, I thought this was the pinnacle of motorsports. And I just put it on Paul, my first race? <laughs> well, the way, Did you know... The way I looked at it, you know, uh, I, you know, a race car is a race car, and um, right, and and you know, if you're a race driver, uh, you you cannot get lost in okay, this is a pinnacle, this is this and that. Okay, that's and, our job. <laughs> you know, I not to take anything away from it, but at the same time, you can glamorize things to the point that it works against you, type of thing. Right. And uh, to me, um, you know. I just went by what felt, what felt right. And, um, and I said, and I felt right at home, quite honestly, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I had a lot to learn. I mean, I had never driven a full race yet and all that. But, um, but again, as far as uh, getting the speed and, and when I looked next to me was uh, Jackie Stewart, you know, current right. world champion at the time. So uh, I felt, okay, maybe I belong here type of thing. And, and that, that's, think, yeah. that, that's huge. That's huge for confidence. Uh, and, and again, uh, you know, the clutch went in a race and so forth, you know, when it finished, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I did it sporadically because uh, to be honest with you, uh, the earning power, financial earning power in Formula One was not even close to what we could do mm -hmm. earn here in the United mm -hmm. States. Interesting. Especially yeah. even... Yeah. IndyCar over NASCAR. I mean, we were, uh, this was king. And, and, and quite honestly, uh, I always say, you know, I didn't race just for the money, but uh, uh, again, we knew what we were facing in those periods, you know, as far as the potential danger. I mean, uh, how many guys we, friends I had lost already. Not that I think, okay, I'm going to be killed, but, you know, I had a family also, and I felt that uh, it's, for the security, the financial security was that important. And I, I could not give that up. That's why I didn't continue with Lotus. Uh, and then they got uh, Emerson Fittipaldi that came in my place. And he, you know, yeah. and then I moved on and I did Ferrari. That's why in 71, you know, I won, um, you know, my first Formula One race in a Ferrari. And stuff because I was sort of moving around in 1970. Yeah. I drove March for uh, the Granatelli's, the, you know, the sponsor, the March team, and so forth. And we had a Formula One, uh, we, we they entered Formula One car there and everything. And I, the best I had was a third in Spain and that season, but um, then I got upside down in Austria and all that. But, um, uh, nevertheless, I mean, it's uh, uh unfortunately in those periods, I just could not afford to go full-time Formula One. And uh, I have no regrets, you know, it's just a yeah. way. Of, uh, but uh, the fact that I, uh, at one point in my career, I made a choice. I had to make a choice to do it now or never, you know, and I was already, you know, 35 years of age. And uh, 
So I figured, and that's when I decided, now I'm going to devote whatever time I need to in my career to satisfy myself in Formula One, which mm. started in 1975. Right, and then it all came together in 78. Yes, 78. Uh, in 76, when I joined Lotus, because uh, the uh, Parnelli team, uh, which was all-American team, uh, you know, we did the 75 season, and we started the 76 season uh, and uh, at Long Beach, which was, I think, was the second, second or third race of the, of, of the season, uh, they decided to withdraw from Formula One, period, without even telling me. And, um, and so I got the news while I was on the grid uh, uh, <laughs> before the race with Chris Economaki, the gentleman I just told you, he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, he, he says, Mario, he puts a mic on my face. He says, Mario, says, what do you think? He says, this is going to be your last race in Formula One. Uh, Parnelli, uh, well, and Parnelli decided to withdraw after this. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, but here again, a negative became a positive because uh, uh, I don't think I would add much of an opportunity to, uh, you know, to win uh, too many races with them, even though I should have won the, uh, actually, uh, the Spanish Grand Prix of Montjuic in Barcelona was leading and the suspension broke. And, um, and, and there I took the lead from James Hunt and everything. And, and I think I would have won that race with that car. But um, nevertheless, when the news was given to me, um, I figure, oh my goodness, now what? The next day, I was having breakfast at the Queensway Hilton in Long Beach, and across the room was Colin Chapman. And both of us had our chin in our socks because uh, I had, you know, obviously the worst day of my life there. And, and then Colin Chapman had the worst weekend of his career with his cars. And uh, so we look at each other and I joined him and we started talking and, uh, and I said, Colin, I, I'm, I'm out of a ride. They withdrew the entries now from the rest of the season and I want to stay in Formula One now. And he says, Mario, I wish I had a decent car to give you. He says, uh, he said, I would love to have you drive for me. I said, Colin, two things. You make me number one and on the team and we'll make the car better he said got the job and uh and we made the car better and better through the season the car was not very good and we got i think we got two or three podiums and i won the last race of the season um in japan which actually was a race that was featured um, in the movie rush you know and they never showed me up there on the pylon that i won <laughs> <laughs> You know, Ron Howard, what the hell? Ron Howard, yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe because of the American or something, but um, that's the real, yeah. Oh, in fact, uh, not only one, I lapped the field. If you look at the, uh, <laughs> you look at the statistics, Tom uh, finished third, one lap behind. <laughs> was not even second. <laughs> so, that's the kind of credit that I got. Yeah. Anyway, um, and so, <laughs> but you know, when you look at um, how encouraging there's nothing better than winning the last race of the season mm, yeah. just really get everybody just uh, on the right mode you know to just uh, uh to go forward in fact uh, colin made a statement to me uh, he says mario he says next year's car would make this one look like a london bus 
<laughs> and uh, that was music to my ears, as you can imagine. Well, that yeah. that's 78 Lotus is a it's a classic. It's an iconic car of, of, of Formula One. Can you talk about driving like that car, hitting the sweet spot after this time of, of building that up and, and, and driving that car and that experience? And, and how instrumental you were in developing it. Yeah. Yes, I mean, uh, actually, uh, we, <clears throat> I took uh, ideas from the March, the uh, 701 March car that uh, Robin Hurd had designed with the side pods. Uh, and I remember we were testing in South Africa uh, with the ground telly and um, uh, the track in uh, Kalami is at altitude. So I figured maybe the side pods create some drag and so forth. So we, uh, they, you know, they were only fiberglass, you know, just uh, snapped on the side. So I had them take them off. And then the car all of a sudden was flying the front end, which means the side pods, which was the shape of a wing, um, they would create a downforce. And that's what I, when we were talking about, uh, we were caucusing about the next year's car, you know, the engineers tell me and Mario, I said, well, look, I said, but I would like, obviously the driver always wants downforce without drag penalty. And then I started talking to him about the side pods that we had in March. And I said, they were very short, you know, that's a very short wingspan. And I said, why, what if we don't use all be use the entire length of the wheelbase and create something like that and then put fences on them. And that's how actually we discover later on uh, what ground effects, you know, uh, how it was created. This was not, nobody was going to, oh, we're going to design a ground effects car. This is something that happened as we went on because, yes, we were getting downforce, but there wasn't until a test in Hockenheim in Germany, a couple of races into the season with that, that um, the Bosch curve that, that connected the two straightaways was a long right-hander. And as the car, as I, in the middle of the corner, when I had the most uh, actually uh, tilt in the car, when the car, when when the the uh, the skirts would close the gap, all of a sudden I was getting the most downforce. I I, I can you know I said Colin, I'm gaining tremendous amount of downforce in the middle of the corner, you know because we're closing the gap on the left side. So he sent one of the mechanics in town to get uh, some sheets of plastic, you know, to close the gap. And I go out there and say, ah, all of a sudden, but it will only last for about two laps or so because you wear it out. Mm -hmm. And that's when, uh, if, if you look at during part of the season in 77, we had like a brush, you know, that um, at least it was not really perfect, but at least it was consistent throughout the race. It was just like bristles, you know, that uh, they were closing the gap. And then toward the end of the season, he, you know, they developed the moving skirts. Uh -huh. You probably heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, uh, yeah. Yeah, they were dragging and, and, and that's how we ground effect was developed. And then Colin Chapman developed actually a special wind tunnel with a moving road with a belt because uh, to put the car in a static wind tunnel like like they used to 
without having the movement of the wheels, you know, spoiling the airflow, they were getting erroneous um, reading, you know, from that type of ground effect. So, and then calling, you know, he came up with the uh, uh, moving belt on the on, on the wind tunnel, right? And that's how this whole thing just developed. But it was one thing leading to another, and um, and I, you know, and I was happy. Uh, I mean, I'm just happy that I was really part of it because uh, uh, I'm the one that was giving a lot of the information back. Because, uh, uh, but uh, also, you know, it'll be disputed someday. But um, I. Uh, I just caution any well, I like anyone to just come and tell me different that uh, I gave that idea, you know, from the March car, you know, to to uh, to build that, you know, the wing, long wing shape on the pods of the car, which uh, you know started, uh, you know, everything that, that we have learned until today, you know, right. that's what started started then. Well, you heard it here first. You heard it here. Mario Andretti I mean, invented yeah. ground effects, and well, we won't hear invent, any I, different. I, it's, it's not that I didn't I not invent. I didn't invent that, but uh, I think I had something to do with the idea right. that was that yes. the, the ground effect was born. Well, there's, there's, uh, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but there's a big, you know, a term that's being thrown around a lot this year in Formula One is porpoising, which uh, many people attribute to you in in '79 because you were experiencing the porpoising effect on your car. Yeah, right? we, uh, of, co- of course, and the porpoise is created by sometimes even too much down, or, too much you know, downforce. You know, yeah. where you have to you obviously make the suspension a lot stiffer because the car bottoms and it bounces up and. Por- Wait, were you the first porpoiser? I'm one of the first por- porpoisers for sure. <laughs> and, uh, wow. Yeah. Very relevant. I mean, you know, that's, that's been, that's been the term of this year's season is the porpoising. So people have been talking yeah, about the, how you coined the, that the phrase. The OP, original porpoiser. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they, they have more of a tunnel type of effect and, um, and obviously they're trying to gain more ground effect so they don't have to have as large a rear wing because that's what creates our the turbulence right. so the cars can follow better which uh, they accomplish quite a bit of that actually but- when you see lewis hamilton doing that are you like yeah i don't miss that that's uh it's the one thing I <laughs> well if it, it's annoying as hell i can tell you that yeah. <laughs> at least when you get purpose you know you have good ground effect the car but uh Sometimes, like I said, the, the compromises obviously you have to have very stiff suspension, which slows you in the slower corners where you don't have as much downforce, you know. So it, you have to compromise the, the situation uh, right. in many ways. And, uh, you know, too much downforce is uh, really not, probably not what you really need. You have to have just a, a balance, if you will. So the year before you 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 win the F1 championship, but it's a bit of a bittersweet kind of uh, end to that season because your your teammate unfortunately passed away in Monza. The same uh, race that you clinch it. In the same race yeah, that you clinch it, yeah. Uh, yeah, nothing worse than that, of course. Uh, and just some of the tragedies that uh, we were experiencing those days, and um, you know, I lost another friend, you know, a really close friend. Um, yeah, uh, that should have been the best day of my life, uh, you know, career-wise, and I couldn't celebrate. We could not celebrate, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. So, but that's that was the nature of, of, of the sport at the time, 
there were too many of those situations as you as you can imagine that's why um you know they the safety aspect had to come into play and um, that's why we organized the uh, gpda was uh, uh was started for for these these reasons uh just to, to try to um to start enforcing you know safety characteristics and the reason had to be organized because especially on the cars almost every safety feature is a performance penalty that's either aerodynamic or weight and so forth so it has to be legislated into the rules that everybody has to have it uh, but then along the way there was a lot of improvements on the tracks as well uh, so it, it took took a while for this thing to really uh, uh, become uh, you know more of a serious approach but um, but you know, thank goodness, uh, it's uh, been very vigorously pursued, uh, you know, from, um, until now that uh, today the sport is enjoying the best moments ever in that respect. Mm. Uh, it, it, the drivers have the best chance ever, ever to retire on their own terms, you know, their careers. And um, that speaks volumes because that did not exist in the decades of the 60s, 70s and 80s and so forth. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's even more after after you know your your time winning in, in Formula One, but the, you've been racing for so many years since then, and and you your sons have have gotten into it, your nephew and even grandson, grandson, and you know like there's the the Andretti Empire then started to be to be formed. The family name is is certainly synonymous with American motorsport, and now there's a bit of a push to try to get. Uh, you know, Andretti into Formula One. Can you speak a little bit to 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 that? Yeah, I mean, as you could see that um, as, as both sides of the family, there are eight race drivers, including, you know, Aldo and so forth. Uh, and you this third generation on his side, third generation on my side. And, um, you know, you can see that uh, uh, the kids just uh, decided to, to pursue this. And uh, as you look back, uh, uh, we had some degree of, uh, uh, I think, of uh, good times together. Let's put it that way. <laughs> some success as a family. Um, just uh, going back to, you know, even Michael and I, you know, we, we've been on podium 15 times in an IndyCar race, you know, together. So, and, you know, first, second, five times and all that. Um, so we look back as a family, we derive so much from the sport. And, um, and now, uh, as you can see, uh, Michael is, is very, very ambitious. Uh, huh. you know, he's already, uh, his teams are in seven different disciplines already, you know, including, you know, Formula E and, and supercars, you know, Formula E in Europe and supercar. So he got a team in Europe, Spain, and, and the supercars in Australia and, and everything else that's going on. So Formula One is uh, now, it's it is, ultimate objective uh, to enter now. And, um, uh, you know, the U.S. is going to have three Formula One races next year. Uh, as you said, with the resurgence of, uh, of um, interest, if you will, from, as you said. Yeah, it's, that's, that's us. That's us. <laughs> yes. Yes. Here we are. Yeah. That's <laughs> the new you know, American interest. Yeah. It's, it's yes. fantastic. And, uh, you know, and, and why not having a full, full um, American team and, 
and then uh, for surely we'll always have at least one American driver given the opportunity and and I, I think this should be an asset to Formula One. I yeah. just uh, it's not embraced by everyone, unfortunately. Why not? Uh, I don't know. The teams uh, always have something to say about it, and uh, not all of them are green. And uh, and so far, we have not been given the green light to pursue. But uh, uh, Michael and the team, they're already uh, they're working. Everything is in progress, as if they're given the green light. So when hopefully it will come that you know everything a lot of things will already have been done but they um this is a serious commitment from um, michael's side and his group uh long term long term no question uh and uh, but it's a it's a monumentous um, uh, program that they have you know already uh scheduled and and uh and again, uh, nothing is easy. Uh, we know that, but um, willing to, uh, you know, to to deal with it, you know, to uh, and to get both feet in it, you know, and um, and go from there. So um, uh, it's, uh, we we are all in, you know, we're all in on, on this, and 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 this should be hopefully happy times. If you know, once they say, okay, guys, uh, you're in, you're accepted. Uh, to be on a grid in 2024. Well, you've got, I mean, certainly <laughs> tell them that you have the red flags full support and that should help grease the wheel, should help grease the wheel. But certainly, I mean, we, we would love to see it. We would love to see an American sport, especially one with, with, you know, with your name, uh, yes. you know, in the, on the F1 grid. That brand, yeah. And you talked a little bit about like, you know, back in the day, there was a, uh, that Indy was where you could make the money. And it feels like that's shifted now towards formula one. Yeah. What can, what can IndyCar do to start to compete with that? You know, where formula one has taken it, what can IndyCar be doing? Do you think? Well, uh, you know, looking back at the, the IndyCar, uh, went through a period where there was, um, you know, back in the, in the nineties, there was a split of the ranks. And um, an IndyCar suffered tremendously through that because they lost uh, a lot of the basic fan base. You know, they probably lost a generation. And uh, with that, you lose everything else. So uh, as a series that's, you know, it's the longest motor racing series on the planet. Um, mm. Had to almost start all over again. Right. And, uh, but now, now IndyCar is enjoying great moments as far as... Uh, having the product, when you have the product, uh, you know, that's what you need, you know, to, uh, to, to, to be bold about the future. Uh, the, the quality of teams, uh, the, uh, the quality of uh, talent, uh, the driving talent, the young driving talent that you have there now um, is very, very strong. And it's, it's all about uh, being exposed. Look what uh, just the, the series, the Netflix series is for Formula One. Right, it's yeah. all about getting to know what really moves and what's important, what's exciting. And um, the, the IndyCar series possesses so much of that it's not really known as well as it should. And, uh, but when you have the product, you know, then, then there's hope. So uh, yeah. again, I'm, I'm pretty, feel pretty bold about uh, the future of the IndyCar series, no question. 
Well, there's been a theme and you've talked about it already is that each in within each setback, you saw an opportunity in your life, you know, with that, yes. you, that you've turned, you know, yeah. you're the, the living embodiment of when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade, you know, you, you, yep. so I think that type of thing, uh, you know, is only you've been able to transform and, and transcend all of that. So, you know, this is just another setback. That can I think you need really to be in charge of Indy car. You need to be Daniel Ricardo's driving coach. <laughs> we have a lot of jobs for you. All right, let's do, some fun, ask, let's do some fun ones. Let's do some fun questions. Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of fun questions. Give me something easy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All um, right. Who's your, who's, uh, who's your favorite celebrity that you've driven around? Yeah, Cause you're, you're still doing, you're doing the two seaters with your, with your, uh, yeah. with Honda. Right. So who's, who's, who is the, who's your favorite uh, person you've driven around the track? Scared the I shit out of. Lady, Lady Gaga was, was really, <laughs> she was, she was the who, she, she really was uh, very good. I just, uh, I love I love some of her screams and everything. And <laughs> she's got the vocals she was, for sure. She yeah. was real, real sport. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, we had fun. We had fun with her. Who is the biggest coward that you drove around? Oh, here you go again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bleep their name. Um, well, no, nobody nobody listens to this pod. Don't worry about it. Just tell us. It's nobody you know. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, what's your fa uh, nice. a favorite favorite car you've ever driven? A race car. Yeah. Any car that I could win a race with. Yeah. Right. You know yeah, what we we had we had we had Willie T Ribs on the podcast and he said the same thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. I, have you ever played? Uh, okay. So uh, have you ever played? There was there a Mario Andretti video game uh, we 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 heard. There was. Yeah. Do you ever play it? How how are you at that? Oh, terrible. <laughs> terrible. I never wanted to race little kids because they always beat me. <laughs> what? So you're not good. Wait, so you're not good at, you're not, so the one thing you haven't been able to adapt to is video games? <laughs> no, actually, uh, actually, I was pretty decent. I was pretty decent in my simulator, wasn't I, Amy? It was pretty decent. I was, uh, uh, it's just that, uh, you know, when, when you've done the real thing your entire life, uh, it's really hard to enjoy. Yeah. Right. Something you know where they can do it like this. Yeah. 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 Something that you can overdo it, you don't get hurt and all that. Yeah. Can, yeah. 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 You go upside down. And, yeah. That reset. When, you know? when you saw Mario Kart, though, were you like, I need to call my lawyer? We're we're gonna take legal action here. <laughs> yeah, it was it was done in good taste. So. I, okay. Uh, okay. I let it, you let it slide. Let it slide. Um. Yeah. Okay. So. So. Yeah. The video game. That. Yeah. You can't. It, the, the, you can't beat the real thing. Come on. Um. <laughs> um. And who do you? In terms of uh, who do you like in this season in Formula One? Who Who do you think? Who do you think? Well, usually the the usual, uh, you know, the usual suspects, if you will. You sure. know, as you could see, uh, I I put at the top uh, Max, no question. I mean. Uh, uh, you could tell that uh, he's right on it again. You know the Red Bull that seem to have, uh, you know, seem to have the, the equipment for him uh, at every race, and uh, and the resurgence uh, of Ferrari again. I think is the yes. best thing that could have happened to Formula One. That's a wonderful thing to see because, yeah. uh, let's face it, uh, Formula One without Ferrari would not be Formula One. Uh, we got to give him that because that's a fact. 
And are they um, still paying you, Mario? How much are they paying you to say that? <laughs> Never enough. <laughs> <laughs> this is but, the same uh, people that got you thrown out of Monza. Come on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, Ferrari, Ferrari is still Ferrari. You know that. I don't know any any brand that would have uh, you know a bigger fan base around the world. So right. yeah, it's good. And you got two great guys there. You know with the. Charles uh, Leclerc and uh, of course Carlos Sainz. Um, so you got two capable drivers. Uh, some mistakes made uh, even on the part of the mm. team also a few yes. times, which uh, uh, could hurt them for the for, for the ultimate uh, prize. You know the world championship. Um, you just don't want to fall too far behind uh, Max at the moment. And then uh, don't ever count out uh, Lewis and George uh, yes. and Mercedes. Uh, they, you know, they, they will be there, uh, uh, you know, forced to be reckoned with again, no question before the season is over. So uh, we have a lot of good stuff to look forward to as fans of Formula One because uh, it's at a good place. And, um, and then you got uh, now and then, you know, McLaren just uh, sneaks it in there, especially with yeah. Lando. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Again, you know, it's it's good stuff. I mean, it's um, it's very interesting, and and can't wait for the next race. Always, you know, there's yeah, always right. a lot to look forward to. And uh, I just want I have some I have a question because obviously you've succeeded so hard. Um, do you have any like what's your advice so we could be the Mario Andretti's of podcasting? Oh, my advice to do that. Just keep singing the song about uh, about motor racing. Keep exciting mm -hmm. the fans like you are now. I mean, it's uh, you saw it at uh, you know uh, learning more about it, but uh, uh, how it interested you. You know, it, it's uh, it, motorsports is a very complex sport, and um, and and to the more you learn about the, the inner workings. Um, how important the team is in its complexity um, and uh, how, you know, a driver cannot get it done. I don't care who you are. You cannot get it done unless you have the product that can get the job done. Uh, you cannot perform miracles. Uh, so again, you know, look back at, uh, look what uh, George Russell was, you know, with, uh, and unfortunately with the Williams, um, when he was winning, yeah. look what he is today, you know, so uh, you need the equipment. So it's a huge, huge, uh, it's a mammoth uh, uh, operation that you have to have behind you and everybody, you know, just doing, you know, the, their, <laughs> their job, you know, to, to be able to do it properly. Uh, all it takes is one mistake somewhere like a stra strategy or something like that can set you back and even take you out of the play for even for the season. So um, it's, it's a very delicate instrument that you're dealing with, you know, on, on overall it's strategies, but also preparation. Um, it's like I said, it's very, very complex, but also I think very, very interesting sport when you really begin to understand how it all works. We're slowly, we're slowly starting to, we're slowly getting there. We're slowly getting there. We had a, we, we just had a, a Red Bull engineer on, uh, on the pod and, and just kind of learning all about the technicalities and the different things that everything that goes into it. It's so amazing. All right. Last question. 
you you're you're listed and you're in many rap songs lyrics do you have a favorite song that you are used as a lyric or a reference which one was that the one with probably the first one with uh oh yeah yeah uh charlie daniels was uh was way back and and it was one of the first songs that i think was i was mentioning (laughs) and mario andretti would have been proud I was in a rental car in California on the way to Riverside <laughs> for a test, and all of a sudden I hear the song on the radio. And uh, Uneasy been- Rider, is it? An Easy Rider. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Matt, uh, you're a on. genius. You're a genius. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, will, I definitely we'll didn't Google it. I definitely <laughs> didn't Google you. it. We'll <laughs> check it out. We'll check it out. An Easy Rider, yeah. <laughs> Amy Grant also. Amy Grant, uh, she has uh, another one. So uh, I threw the man in the 20 and line. jumped in and fired the mother up. Mario Andretti would have sure been proud of the way I was moving when I passed that crowd. There you go. Hell yeah. All right. Anything else, Matt? How, how in the hell did we get this to happen? I don't, um, I don't know. We thank I, you so much. This thank is, this so is much. beyond anything we ever could have uh, hoped that this was <laughs> going to be. It's, it's such an honor to, to, yeah, to have you is. on. Now, if you, if you would do us a fit, if you do us one thing. So at the end of, we started the podcast with hello, Vankas, which is a reference to Gunter Steiner, Gunter Steiner, iconic quote from <laughs> drive to survive. So at the end of each episode, we say goodbye, Vankas, Bye, Vankas. in a Gunter Steiner kind of voice. Would you, would you honor us with a goodbye, Vankas? Goodbye, bankers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank You're you so first. much. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Bye, bankers. Bye, bankers. <laughs> oh my God! Wow, I am just. I'm. I want to say I'm quivering, but I'm actually just so drained. That was emotionally draining, but I'm. That was amazing. It was unreal. And we've got Jenny. We got Jenny here. Hey, Vankas. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Vankas, it's been it's been one year since you looked at me. But it's our one year anniversary pod. And we just got Mario Andretti on the motherfucking podcast. Wow. Damn. So we're going to do just like, you know, a little fucking red flag circle jerk and just pat ourselves <laughs> on the freaking back. Yep. And, uh, you know, just for, for, for those of you who have been with us from the very beginning, All thank you for coming you. on this journey with us. <laughs> All to the 40 of you, and hope we're, we hope that you're still here. I know some of you are. And the people that have just come along for the ride, this is only the beginning, but we wanted to just take a little time to thank you and just talk about this little crazy journey that we call hosting a podcast on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> So Jenny made that happen because Jenny runs our twit and and she followed Mario on Twitter and then he followed us back and then she DM'd him. Yeah, I acted fast. Because she's a fucking legend. Because she's a Mario. She's the Mario Andretti of Twitter. She's fucking fast <laughs> and fucking adaptable. <laughs> yep. That's fucking Jenny. Who would have thought who would have thought that we, you know, would post a video about Lewis Hamilton's freezing his dog's sperm on the Internet and then and then Jenny would come into our lives. And now we have Mario Andretti on our podcast. Voila. I actually just had to explain the podcast at a baby shower I was at. And I think 
my entire table after five minutes was like, well, we couldn't care any less, but um, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> I was like, yep. this is my baby. Yeah. This is what I'm birthing. <laughs> this is what I'm gestating. Like, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> two two toxic grown men. That's your baby screaming on the internet. Yes. <laughs> These are my children. Yeah. I will say that like every time I talk about the pod uh, at like a gathering or like if I'm at like a wedding or something like that, it's like it it's only a matter of time before there's like six men in their 30s or late 20s like, "Yeah, so like tell me more about that." Like, "Yeah, so like uh, <laughs> So, uh, so, so, so tell me about like Monaco, like what's that, what's that about? So it's, <laughs> it's, Where it's uh, like, so how's qualifying work? Is it, it's, it's, it's Q, <laughs> the Q shit. What's the fucking Q shit? It's also like, don't you know that like, and it's like, they, what they don't realize is that like, they're actually the target fucking market. And that's what, the, and, and you know what? That's right. what we're here for to, 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 to. Yeah. Cause Brian, what do you say? The target. What do I say? Brian has the same fucking pat line that he says in all of our fucking meetings that we have with people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, this is this is this is what I say to people when when we're pitching the red flags as a product. I go, most of our fans don't even know what F one is yet. <laughs> Hell that's, yeah! Tell me that doesn't exactly. tell me that doesn't fucking ring, baby. That's gonna go in the trailer of the movie that 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 gets made about us <laughs> when one of us kills each other. That. That we're writing, starring in, and producing. That, that that's our that's, that's like our Lady Gaga. Work, that's our WeWork movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever they go, <laughs> that's to like shit that Lady we... Gaga supercut. Have you seen that Lady Gaga supercut where she's like, in in every single presser for uh, the a Star Is Born, she says that ninety nine yes. ninety nine people in the room w- won't don't believe in you, and all it takes is one person to believe in you, and that was Bradley. That was Bradley Cooper, and she says it like. Over and there's just a compilation of her saying it again and again and again and again and again and Wait, again. Wait, ninety nine people end, didn't com- think Lady Gaga was talented. I don't understand. Matt, yeah, you know, I think they thought it's she was like, talented. Like, they just didn't think that she could star in a movie. I think it also just sounds good. It's also just, it just like ninety nine people didn't believe in me, but this one did. Kind of like how what you say is like kind of bullshit, but it sounds good. Yeah, that's the <laughs> point. That's the point. That's <laughs> why I brought it up, babe. That's why I brought it up. Bubby. Right. Right. The connection was made. The connection was made. <sighs> the limit does not exist. Um well, I don't know. What do you what do we have to say? What do we what do we talk about? I don't know. What is there left? I feel like I kind of feel like how Mario must have felt like after he won the Formula One championship. I mean, like, what mountains are there left to conquer? <laughs> what else do we accomplish? We just talked to an F one champion. Like it's yeah. like yeah. where do we even go from here? I know. Like every guest we get is just not Mario Andretti. I mean, yeah. two days ago we take two days ago we had fucking Blake from fucking Break F one, and now we've got Mario Andretti. I mean, yeah, but it's just like I feel like after Mario, is it could. just gonna be like a hot dog down a hallway? I'm like, I used, <laughs> I used to next be, we gotta get Lewis. I mean, Lewis, gotta, uh, uh, it'll be Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, we gotta get Lewis. Wait, Hamilton. what's the what's the fe- what's the female equivalent of hot dog down? A, I was thinking about this. Hot dog down a hallway, like a like a tic tac in something. Right, 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 right. What? I'm like, why right. is the hallway the negative? Right. Well, no. What? What? Wait. Wait. The 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 hot dog. Could Let's break be. this down. Let's break this down. Wait. What do you mean? I always saw like the hallway. Hallways so big. The hallway's huge. Right. It's not the hot dog's fault. It's the fact that it's a hot dog in a hallway. Right. right. Well, it's all. So or, then or you have the to hot do something that too, accentuates. Or is the hot dog too small. But why would you have a hot dog in a hallway? Exactly. 
So you need something that's a tic-tac. In... Tic-tac in a purse? <laughs> a purse? Like a, like a loose tic-tac in a purse. I was just thinking, I was like, every time I hear that, I'm like, I feel like it's a negative toward the hallway. <laughs> right. It, well, it definitely is. It's definitely, some, it's, definitely, it's definitely only said by men like Matt. <laughs> Not me, though. I would never say that. <laughs> um, uh, well, it wouldn't be a Red Flags postmortem without something like that. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about, like, favorite parts? Like, fa- highlights? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's What's do a little been bit of that your rose and, then... and your thorn? Here. Well, first I want to say that I just want to unpack that the podcast almost stopped being a podcast today. Why? Because I was so, so mad at Brian. What happened? <laughs> Matt was being so annoying. About I was this being interview. so well. Here's what happened. I was being <laughs> like, I was like, just like, I over prepare for the podcast. Brian <laughs> under prepares. Right. And it's a beautiful I, mashup. I, 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 I was reading like all this book last night, like a crazy person. And John was like, why are you doing all this research? I was like, because Brian doesn't read. Someone's got to. He's fucking. <laughs> don't blame me. Don't like, blame me. I was like, because my, don't, don't, cause my don't podcasting partner is, <laughs> is fucking illiterate. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. And, then, and yet, if you listen to that pod, I'm the one always. I'm bringing up his next milestone. I'm the one being like, and then you moved here, right? I'm the one fucking chucking that thing along. Meanwhile, uh, Matt's sitting there with so much information in his head that he can't think of a goddamn question. <laughs> yeah. But then that's where I come in and just make you sound gorgeous and, it, yeah. and geniuses. Yeah, but then so then so then I was like proposing ideas. I was proposing yeah. ideas. Yeah. I was like, well, we could do this, we could do that. And he'd be like, why would you do that? Why the fuck would you do that? That's fucking stupid. Well, if you don't know, you ask him a question because it's a fucking interview, bro. And then, and yeah. then before I then before I could end tell the me, podcast, tell me this wait, is me while he was on. No, no, no. no, 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 no this no, is no, like no, this no, morning. This was this was this <laughs> okay, was the prep. Okay. This was the very healthy prep we were doing before Mario Andretti. And this was the driver meeting beforehand. And then before I could tell him I didn't <laughs> want to do the podcast with him anymore, my phone died. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. <laughs> I'm going to go back. Sign. And I'm going to tell him like he's a piece of shit and an asshole. And he can't talk to me like that. <laughs> so I was like, I cannot wait. So I'm charging back to the apartment. And I cannot wait to tell Brian. I can't wait to tell Brian what a piece of shit he is. He's such an asshole. Fuck him. Maybe I'll quit the pod. I fucking fire up my phone. I call his ass. And I'm like ready to lay into him. And Brian's like. So sorry for jumping down your throat there. You know, it, and then he's like apologizes to me. And this is how you know that I'm like mentally ill. Because like when someone doesn't apolo- when someone doesn't apologize to me fast enough, I get really angry. But Brian apologized too quickly. So I, I didn't get to like kill him. He just I was like ready so to you, just okay. rip his head off. And then this is my beautiful skill. I know the limits of the car. And you're the, <laughs> I know where to push you. <laughs> the telemetry of the apology. So I, I, can't, I, I picked up the phone and I took a deep breath. I went <gasps> to fucking just rip his head off. And then he goes, sorry for jumping down your throat. You know, this is a really just tense time. And we're just trying to we're all just trying to do our best here. And I was like, damn it. Damn it. I wanted my. Pa-. And I went, it's OK. It's okay, Brian. But I was so mad that you robbed me of that. You robbed <laughs> oh, me of now that. Now you got to apologize for that. Yeah. 
So anyway. Yeah. What else? What else do I need to be sorry for? You piece of shit. Anyway. So. Oh, wow. Meanwhile, I was in the background texting you like 30 minutes to go on Andretti. Hope everyone's having fun. We all got your <laughs> questions right. And I didn't know there was this like nuclear war zone going on. Yeah, I was really <laughs> I was really nervous about this pod. Joanna got this Esther Perel game. Like a game. A game? Like it's a game. And it's Esther, like Perel's get- doing, Esther Perel's doing games yeah, now. Yeah, and I got cards. Time to hang it up, Esther. I, what else are you going to do? I Come got, out with a sneaker? I got cards. It was like, okay, so this is the game, and we roll the die, and you read this card, and it's like, your greatest fear. I'm like, this is, doesn't look like oh, a game. God, I hate I hate games like <laughs> yeah. that. No. I hate places I was like, like I'm not that. Pl- yeah. I was like, I'm not playing this. I was like, I got fucking Mario Andretti tomorrow. I got enough stress. I don't need to fucking. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fun. Things that I can't say no to. What the fuck? My biggest vice. That in a movie is like what starts out like in the vacation of what is going to be like a murder spree. It's like it starts where they all go away and then they play a game like that and then someone dies. Like that's right, right, what right. those So you, lo- you learn about the characters. I once went on a date where they have like in the middle of the table, they have like prompts like that. Oh. Like what's your biggest fear? And I was just like, Ken, I, I hated it so much. I hated it. It's so non. It's so non-consensual when they do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like I didn't. It's like all of a sudden now I have to like talk about my deepest fear. Okay, but what is your biggest fear? <laughs> <laughs> What's my biggest fear? <laughs> I'll only do it if it's for fears. fucking clout on a podcast. It's for it's for content. yeah. Th- this TikTok. <laughs> I'll do it on you know what you know where I'll do that on the Patreon, which is coming up soon. <laughs> oh, you got to pay for that. Hell yeah. You got to pay to find bow, out bow, what bow, my bow. fears are, people. Yeah, the Patreon's coming up. Um, we're gonna be having one. I think our our maybe at the end of the summer break. Yep. For the second half of this season, we're gonna be doing exclusive content that's gonna be behind a paywall. Help us fucking pay for our lives. Also, we are trying to raise <laughs> funds to go to Austin. So if you wanna. Um, you know, if you want to Venmo us some fucking kashish or, to or PayPal. Red Flags Pod, Red Flags Pod on, on PayPal or At Venmo, Red you Flags can do that. Pod, yep. At Red Flags Pod. And it's a business, right, not a friend. Yeah. It's a business, not a friend. So we're not your yeah. fucking friends. Unless you pay us enough money, then we can discuss that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then I'll be a friend. Yeah. Jo- uh, Jenny will send you fucking um, foot pics for the right for the right. Yep, for the right price. I'll write a little message on it. You can choose my my pedicure color, whatever you want. Hell yeah, not above some fucking, it. F- some fucking feet pics on the on the goddamn Patreon. Wait, we didn't talk about favorite moment. Favorite, favorite, favorite oh, moment yeah, yeah, of of right. this year. Favorite moment, Matt. My mm. favorite moment of this year was um, obviously Mario Andretti. How about you? I think maybe my favorite moment was like the first time we like went viral on TikTok. Ooh. That night. Oh, oh, right. Where, we, where it was the Christian Horner rant that Christian Horner is like a psychopath or something. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> we were FaceTiming. I was like, holy shit. And like 100,000 numbers what were the going fuck up. Is going- and the next thing you know, we get an email on our fucking in, in our fucking inbox, and it's from Jenny Sue Birnbaum, mm. and you know the rest is history. So that moment only led to the other, you know, best you know thing of this it's year. A straight which is line to Mario Andretti, really. Yeah, it's all connected. Yeah. I would, say, yeah, Jenny. I would say uh, 
best moment. Well, I mean, it's a uh, it's cumulative moments that our group text is so enjoyable. That's always fun. Yeah, that's a good time. That should be like a million dollars on the Patreon. Is like join that. Um, yeah. No, but, it would have to. It would have to be. It would have to be enough money that we could. We wouldn't have to work again because it would be over for all of us. So. Okay, so like a hundred million. Yeah, it would have to be like yeah. Ferrari yeah. constructors. No, probably when probably when the the Twitter account I've I've nurtured for so long <laughs> finally had the the hit tweet with mm. Max Verstappen's villain jet. Right. Yeah, that was fun. Slay the game on that boots. Slay Actually, the no, wait, wait. Down. The um, the uh, the Jalopnik article when that came out, I was like. Mm-hmm. We may. I ha, I actually have because you know you know I like lists and organized little things. I have a um. I have in my notes app all our milestones saved. Aww. So our um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm even forgetting about the fact that I got lunch with Charlotte Claire. That's, that's <laughs> right. That, 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 right. That's an afterthought. That, right. I don't even think about that shit anymore. Right. Right. Next well, year on the pod. That's that's Next the goal. Next year on the pod. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll 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 fucking get him. We're gonna get him. Yeah. I well, mean, Vanka's. I don't know what else. What else? I think let's. Are we doing Bud and Thorn? Bud and Thorn. Uh, well, well Thorn is. Thorn. What's Thorn is just like the work. The Thorn's just like how much work this Thorn is, is. Which I Thorn like is doing. Riverside. Yeah. Thorn. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Thorn is Throw Riverside us, baby. Media, and if they don't comp us yeah. this month, if they're listening, if you guys don't fucking comp us forever, like I'm just gonna keep trashing yeah. them on this pod. So. After that email That's I right. wrote, they better. Yeah. They didn't. That was they were a good like, one. Let's... That's what you get when you don't leave the space. <laughs> <laughs> so Riverside Media, get your fucking weight up. Yeah, you're you're on notice. Yeah. You're on notice. Um, that's definitely mm-hmm. the thorn. Just all all things technical. <laughs> all technical. All, all things tech. tech. Yeah. My personal thorn was editing my first episode. Yeah. And the yeah, mental yeah. spiral, the rabbit that, hole that, I went that. down. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I talk. I don't think I talked to you. I think I gave you like the silent treatment for like two hours, which it is was like out of a Darren me. Aronofsky movie. <laughs> the fucking unraveling. That yeah. <laughs> That the unravel yes the un- unraveling is is really what happened. That was that was a dark time for me, and it was the Kimmy book episode, and that book was like awful. So great yeah, story, just awful book. Yeah, I think yeah. The thorn thorn for me was that that time where the where where the the audio cut out and and we had to I just sing the national anthem again. <laughs> oh my hammy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you were a little. You were a little. No um, one would have known it was a second a take. Sc- I know was, he was a little scratchy the second time. <laughs> kinda, I was a little scratchy the second take. Yeah, yeah. He kind of. Should I? Kind of worn I, out his tires close a little out bit. With that? What? Should I do my? Should I do a redemption? No, no one really cared about that. No one gave like, a fuck. I'm like, no wow. one gave a fuck about the fact that I'm Broadway level. No one's talent. a patriot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, dude. Nowadays, if you're a patriot, though, <laughs> nowadays if you have like an American flag out front or on your car, everyone like is like, yeah, what, you, you kind of people yeah, look at you like, might as well weird. be a defector. Yeah, um, it's like, do you love America, dude? Weird. Um, uh, so Bud would be, oh uh, yeah, 
Oh wait, define bud. Like what you? What the you bud is like what we're looking for. What, what I'm looking for. Okay, okay, to. okay. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. I am looking forward to hopefully getting to go to Austin mm-hmm. with all with you two guys yeah. and me, actually meeting Jenny. Yes, actually <laughs> having totally. a real life interaction. That's gonna be fun. That's a big old bud. Yeah. Um, mm. my bud. What's my bud? My bud is when we start to start to make some. I get to start paying my rent or at least part of my rent with this podcast. That's my bud. When we can start actually yeah. at, at Red Flags money. Pod at Venmo and PayPal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna have the patreon coming up soon so please like if you're into this fucking subscribe to the patreon that's coming up it's coming up yeah help me quit my job so this can be my full-time job yeah so, hope, uh, hope yeah. jenny's yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna beep uh, all of that's just gonna sound like beep <laughs> i edit this actually keep <laughs> all my friends are now and i'm like Okay. Um. Okay, you little vankas. Uh, that kind of does. It's, it's been one year of this podcast, and it's just the beginning. The sky's the limit. Mario and Dreddy told us to just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. And uh, we're gonna keep doing that, and only growing, and and we're happy to have you along for the ride. Goodbye, vankas. Auf Wiedersehen, vankas. Peace out, vankas. See you later, Vankas. Later, Vankas. Later, Vankas. Goodbye, Vankas. Goodbye, Vankas. Goodbye, Vankas. Goodbye, Vankas. Goodbye, Vankas. Ah, fuck off. And now we are a fucking bunch of wankers.